So uh, when I was in college, the first time, not the second time, but the first time I was in college, uh, I came home after my sophomore year. So my, after my freshman year, I stayed down in Terre Haute for some reason, but I stayed down in Terre Haute uh, and house sat for a summer, and then I went back to school. Well, after my sophomore year, I came back home for the first time. Uh, and so I came home from, for, for summer break, and my little sister and I started going on walks together. And my little sister, Heather, and I would go for a walk just about every day. And, and it was a great time of getting to know my sister better. She's four years younger than me, and I had been gone for two years. And so this was an opportunity for me to get to know my sister better. And so we had a great time. Just go for walks. We'd walk for, you know, a couple of miles every night and just talk about life. And, and it, it allowed me to get a lot closer to my sister. And I was very thankful for that. I like going. Anybody like going for walks? I like to go for walks. I like, and I don't, but here's the thing. I don't like to walk alone. Uh, I don't like to walk by myself. Um, I, I'm scared of things, um, you know, dragons, Tyrannosaurus rexes, things like that. Um, but I don't like to go for walks by myself. I like to go with somebody. Uh, and so uh, one of the people I like to walk with is my son. Uh, this last summer, uh, my son and I uh, started taking walks together in the evening. And so we would get out, and, and he, he loves going for walks because he can play Pokemon the whole time <laughs> and uh, ignore his father. Anyway, um, so he's playing Pokemon, and we're walking. Uh, we'd walk all the way downtown and walk all the way back home. But in, in between the Pokemoning, um, there were some really good conversations. And I got to hear my son's heart. And like I said, walking with someone is a great way to get to know them. And it's a great way to, to hear who they are and get to, to kind of figure out you know, your relationship, stuff like that. So I really enjoyed walking with my son. The other person I like to walk with is my best friend. Uh, when he lived right around the corner from me, we'd go for walks every day. Uh, we'd get up 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, go for a walk, walk two miles, and then and be done. And, um, and again, it's just really good conversations when you're walking with someone. And, and I think that when we go for walks with people, it allows us to get to know them better, allows them, allows them to get to know us better, and... Uh, our relationship deepens. Now we're starting a new series today called Walking with Jesus. And this is a, a long series. It is going to be a long series. It's going to go for 16 weeks. I don't mean to scare you or anything, but it is a long series. It, it scares me, I'll tell you right now, because I get bored easily and it's like, oh, I got to preach for Mark again. No, no, no. It's, I'm excited about this series. Um, so this is a series called Walking with Jesus. Uh, that we are going to go through the book of Mark. And one of the characteristics of the book of Mark uh, is that Jesus is always on the move. Throughout the entire book, he's headed somewhere. And he, he goes here, he goes there, he goes here, he goes. And you'll notice this as we go through the stories of Jesus, that Jesus is always on the move. And so I want to thank Brandon, uh, our associate pastor, who put together this really, really cool path. Uh, and, the, and the stage design, I think it's really neat. I think it looks like lava a little bit, but eh, that's just me. It's like the little kid in me going, Ooh, lava. You know, the floor is lava. Um, anybody ever play the floor is lava? I played the floor is lava. My brothers and my sister and I played the floor. We push each other into the lava. <laughs> it was beautiful. Um, but uh, so Jesus is always, in the book of Mark, he's always on the move. And we're going to see that over the next 16 weeks. This, uh, this book, uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, is a biography of Jesus written by a, a young man named Mark. 
his full name was John Mark, and he was a traveling companion. He was actually a, a relative of Barnabas, uh, if you recognize that name. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were uh, missionaries together, and John Mark was uh, Barnabas' relative. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, Paul and John Mark had a falling out, uh, and uh, eventually um, John Mark became a traveling companion of the Apostle Peter. And, and if you all remember uh, Peter, he was one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And John Mark was a traveling companion of Peter. And wherever Peter would go and preach, John Mark would take notes. And he would write down the stories that, that Peter told about Jesus. And so he put together a biography of Jesus called the Gospel. The word Gospel is from the ancient Greek word euangelion which is a fancy way of saying, it's, it's from where we get our word evangelism, uh, and it's a fancy way of saying good news. So when we say the gospel of Mark, we're talking about the good news about Jesus written by Mark. So Mark records the stories that Peter told all about Jesus, uh, and, and one of the fascinating things about Mark's gospel uh, is that it doesn't take place chronologically. In fact, it seems like it's, it's different than the other gospels, and things happen in different orders. And it's, it's not because there's a discrepancy and not because they forgot or things like that. It's just Peter wasn't preaching in order to write a biography. Pe Peter was just preaching to tell the story of Jesus. And Mark just wrote down everything Peter said. Uh, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we got the Gospel of Mark. So, uh, the Gospel of Mark was written to a Gentile audience primarily. It was written to the church at Rome and the Christians at Rome uh, to tell them all about the story of Jesus. And so what we're going to do for the next 16 weeks is we are going to investigate the story of Jesus. And I'm, I haven't preached a gospel, like a, a, through an entire gospel in years. Uh, it was when we lived in Minnesota, the last time I did it, I preached through the gospel of Luke. Uh, so this is the first time I'm ever preaching through the gospel of Mark. I'm really excited about it and getting into the stories of Jesus and, and how, why he did what he did and who he was. And, and I hope you're excited too, and I hope you'll invite someone who may be asking you about who Jesus is and the story about Jesus, and that this would be a great way for you to be able to introduce them to our Savior. So we're going to talk about uh, the Gospel of Mark for the next 16 weeks. It begins not with the birth, even though we just celebrated the birth of Jesus at Christmas. It begins with the baptism of Jesus. In fact, it doesn't even begin with the baptism of Jesus. It begins with Jesus' relative. It doesn't even start with Jesus. So we're going to start there in Mark chapter 1. Now, this is not going to be an exhaustive verse-by-verse. Verse. We're not going to read the entire uh, book of Mark on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. But, how many of you have a bulletin? Hold up your bulletin. All right, in the bulletin, you should see uh, a reading plan. And what I want you to do is, in that reading plan, you're going to be able to follow along where we're going. So, the first week's reading, reading plan is going to be Mark chapters 1 and 2. And you're always going to be a week ahead. So for next week, you'll read chapter 3, uh, because, or for this week, you're going to read 1 and 2, because next week, we're going to talk about chapter 2. Then you'll read chapter 3, because we're going to talk about chapter 3. And it'll be broken down for you, uh, just to read a little bit each day. It's a great habit to get into, is to reading your Bible, uh, and it'll be a, a, a real assistance to you as we study the book of Mark together. So we are going to kind of fly through this, because here's another characteristic about Mark's gospel. He wrote really long chapters. So like chapter one is 45 verses. And I'm not gonna, I can't, if I were to read all 45 verses, it would be, here are the 45 verses, let's pray, amen. Uh, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna cut, we're gonna hit the highlights for the next 16 weeks. 
If you brought a Bible, great, turn to Mark chapter 1. If you did not bring one, you can pull one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 707 of the Bible in the chair in front of you. Or you can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet. Uh, you can use uh, Uversion or Bible Gateway. Either one of those is a good, uh, good resource uh, to have on your phone. So we're going to take this verse, uh, we're going to take these, uh, the highlights throughout chapter 1. We'll put the verses on the screen that I'm going to read, but if you want to follow along with the stories, you can do that there. So we're going to start with Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what it says. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's stop right there for just a second. It's the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Christ. Christ is Jesus' title. It's not his last name. So uh, Jesus the Christ. Christ means anointed one or Messiah. So it is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And he is called the Son of God because uh, Jesus was conceived by God, the Holy Spirit, uh, in his mother Mary. And so he did not have an earthly father, uh, uh, but he, well, he had an earthly father, Joseph, who raised him, but not an earthly father biologically. He was the son of God. And so this story begins with Jesus' relative, John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is kind of a manly man. He's kind of a wild guy. Uh, he wears camel hair. Uh, he eats wild locusts, and he, and he, uh, and he eats wild honey. I don't know that there are any domesticated locusts. So never mind, he eats locusts and wild honey. Eats locusts and wild honey, and he's out in the wilderness baptizing people in the Jordan River. All right, and this takes place about 70 miles from where Jesus' hometown is. And so uh, John is baptizing in the desert out uh, in the Jordan River, and look at verses 7 and 8. It says, and this was his message, John the Baptist. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this whole thing, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, his, uh, him being the relative of Jesus, it was prophesied about hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene that someone was going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And in, in the book of Isaiah, and the book of Malachi, uh, we read the, of John the baptizer who's going to come and prepare the way for the Savior, for the Messiah, for Jesus. And sure enough, John goes out and he's baptizing people. It's a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, but not to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, that comes later uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We read about that. Uh, but in, in, So we have uh, uh, John out uh, wearing camel's hair, uh, eating locusts and wild honey, and people are coming out to him. I mean, people are flocking to John the Baptist to, to confess their sins and to be baptized. Look at verses 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now this is very interesting in that in this scene you have all three members of the Trinity present. You hear the voice of God the Father, you see the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and the Son of God is standing there in the water. And so John baptizes Jesus, but John didn't want to. In fact, we read in Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 this, 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and John baptized him. And so you've got John saying, I shouldn't be baptized by you. I should be baptized by you. I shouldn't baptize you. And the question may come up to your mind of, why did Jesus get baptized? If John was preaching a baptism of repentance, well, Jesus had no sins of which to repent. And if it was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, well, Jesus never had any sins that needed to be forgiven. So why was Jesus baptized by John? He says it right there in Matthew 3. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Or it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. In other words, it's the right thing to do. So if you've never been baptized, or you got baptized for the wrong reasons, you got baptized, you don't even remember it, the reason we get baptized, one of the reasons we get baptized is because it's the right thing to do. It fulfills all righteousness. It is the proper thing that God requires. That's one of the reasons we get baptized. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And so Jesus goes to John in order to be baptized. And uh, the Greek word for baptism there is baptizo, which literally means uh, to immerse, to dip, or to plunge. And so Jesus uh, is baptized by immersion by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And now, like I said, Jesus, this wasn't like around the corner from Jesus' hometown. Jesus was raised in Nazareth in Galilee, where John was baptizing was 70 miles away. It was 70 miles from Nazareth to the Jordan River where John was. Why did Jesus walk 70 miles to be baptized? Because it was the right thing to do. Because it was what God required. Because it, need, it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So that's why Jesus walked 70 miles to be baptized by John, his relative. All right. And, and one last thing I just want to say. Uh, Notice what God the Father says to his son. He says, you are my son, whom I love. Uh, with you, I am well pleased. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. What's fascinating about this is that Jesus needed to hear the affirmation of his father. And that's what God does. God affirms him. He affirms his identity. You are my son. He affirms his love for him, whom I love. And he tells him that he's proud of him. With you, I am well pleased. So dads, if you're a father, if you're a dad, or if you're a father figure to someone, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon today, get this. Your kids or your grandkids or the kids that you mentor need three things from you. They need to know their identity. They need to know that they are loved. And they need to know that they are good at something, that, they, that there's a reason that you are proud of them. Because that's what God, the Father, told his son Jesus. You are my son, whom I love, and I'm proud of you. With you I am well pleased. So dads, granddads, do that. And your kids, your grandkids will blossom. All right, so let's keep going. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 20, we get to the next story. Uh, and Jesus, so Jesus gets baptized, um, and then uh, he calls his first disciples. So he calls his first disciples. He calls Simon, who later becomes Peter. We'll get into that in chapter 3. He calls Simon and Andrew, their brothers, and they are fishermen. 
And he, Jesus tells them, uh, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. We're going we're to catch people together. So there's Simon and Andrew. And then he also calls two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And so he calls James and John, Simon and Andrew, and says, come follow me. And the Bible says that they immediately got up and left everything and followed Jesus. They, they got up, they're like, all right, we're gone, let's go. James and John left their dad in the boat, said, sorry, dad, we got to go. We're going to go follow him. Simon and Andrew, we're out. We're going to go follow Jesus. One of the interesting things about God, Mark's gospel is that there's a sense of urgency. Uh, a word that is used over and over again is the word immediately or, or the word uh, now. Uh, throughout the gospel, when Jesus does something, he does it now or he does it immediately. And these people, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, when Jesus calls them, he calls them to go now. And they drop everything, they get up, and they immediately follow him. It's fascinating to me. But it's one of the marks of Mark's gospel. So uh, he calls these guys who are fishermen and says, we're going to go catch people. And they get up and they go. Next section, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And we're going to read this, we're going to read this whole thing, uh, this whole passage here. Starting verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, just pause for a second. The reason it says that, the teachers uh, in Jesus' day would always quote older rabbis, and they would always quote uh, rabbinical tradition. So they would always quote others. But Jesus didn't get up and quote anyone. Jesus was teaching as the Son of God. So he's not saying, uh, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and then Rabbi so-and-so said this. He's saying, I tell you this. You've heard it said this. I'm here to tell you this. So Jesus taught as one with authority because he had authority. And that's another theme of the book of Mark that we're going to see is Jesus' authority. We'll get into that in just a second. So uh, verse um, where I get 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, could you imagine sitting in a church service? It's the 9.30 Sunday morning service. So it's a little quiet, it's a little reserved, you know, and all of a sudden, some dude jumps up and says, I know who you are, Sean Cornette. He wouldn't say I'm the Holy One of God, believe me, but you know what I mean. I mean, all of a sudden, just starts like screaming out in the middle of a church service, and he's possessed by a demon possessed by an evil spirit and this is what jesus does be quiet said jesus sternly come out of him the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek could you imagine this in the middle of a church service that is not seeker friendly i tell you right now when people getting demons cast out of them in the middle it, it, if you're a first-time guest, you're like, I ain't ever going back to that church. I don't know what is going on there, but I ain't never going back. A coffee mug or no, I'm not going back. Verse 27, the people were also, what? Amazed. That's the second time Mark uses that word in this passage. People were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region. Of Galilee. It's amazing. Jesus' authority, authority to teach 
and authority to cast out demons. We, and he has more authority. In, in fact, in verses 29 through 34, we read about how he has the authority to heal. They go to Simon's mother-in-law's house. They go to Simon's house. So Simon and Andrew live together, and their mother, uh, Simon's mother-in-law lives with them. Now, interesting note, just a little side note. Simon is Peter, Simon Peter, and Simon has a mother-in-law, which means Simon had a what? Simon had a wife. Simon was married. Peter was married. And he, and he has a mother-in-law. No mother-in-law jokes, okay? No mother-in-law jokes. She's sick with a fever. She's going to die. And like, Jesus is like, here, I'll heal her. And, and you know, Simon's like, oh, okay. Her. No mother-in-law jokes. Anyway, I, I had a wonderful mother-in-law. I had the best mother-in-law. Uh, super sweet. Um, uh, but si- Jesus goes ahead and he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And it says she got up and started to wait on them. Later that day, now this is all taking place on a Sabbath because they went to the synagogue and this is after the synagogue. They go over to, uh, uh, to Simon's house uh, for Sabbath lunch uh, and then they get to the evening time and all of a sudden the whole town shows up. Everybody shows up and they're bringing all their sick people to Jesus and they're demon-possessed to Jesus and Jesus starts casting on demons, starts healing people. Um, so he heals Simon's mother-in-law and he has authority over disease. He has authority over demons. He has authority to teach Jesus is in charge. Then we get to Mark 1, 35 through 39. This is what it says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. I wonder why. Did you see what happened in the synagogue yesterday? Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is amazing to me. Here's the thing. Jesus, the Son of God, needed to go away and to be alone with his Father. He needed time with God. And so who do we think we are? That we're, oh, I'm I'm too busy to pray. Really? The Son of God said, I need time alone with God. You and me, we need time alone with God to read His Word and to pray and to communicate with God and to meditate on His Word and to think about God and to communicate with God. We need that time. If Jesus needed that time, if He needed to go away from all the distractions and all, the, uh, um, all of the hustle and the bustle and the craziness, if Jesus needed to go away and get time alone with God, you and me, we need to go away and get time alone with God. And there's so many distractions in our world, right? There's so many extra, uh, distractions. Uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Snapchat, and Instagram, and the internet, and, and the grandkids, and the kids, and the job, and the church, and everything. It can all be a distraction. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when they distract us from what God is calling us to do, which is, first of all, He's calling us to Himself. And secondly, He's calling us to a purpose. Because what did Jesus say? I have come to what? To preach. And to preach what? Good news. He's not going to get distracted from his purpose. And he's not going to dis- get distracted from his heavenly father. He's going to do what he came to do. Uh, so uh, Jesus goes off to, uh, alone to pray. And then we get to the last part. We're here. We're, we made it. We made it through chapter 1. Uh, just look at uh, verse 41. So Jesus is like healing people. And a guy with leprosy comes up to him and, and asks, if, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41 says this. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, 
be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. And Jesus tells him, go away, go show yourself to the priest, show him that you're clean, uh, and then don't tell anybody what happened to you. (laughs) Isn't that Joe? Wasn't he a leper? Why is Joe back in town? Because see, here's the thing. With leprosy and other skin diseases that were highly contagious, you had to leave your community. You had to leave your family. You had to leave everybody you knew, and you had to live in a leper colony. All right, you were not allowed to, to be around your family. Could you imagine never being able to touch anyone again? You can't hug your kids. You can't hug your wife or your, your husband. If you're a leper, you, you're untouchable. And what does Jesus do? And not just untouchable from the, the point of God getting sick, but untouchable religiously. Uh, it was uh, ceremonially you would be unclean if you touched a person with leprosy. What does Jesus do? He says he's filled with compassion, that he is filled with love for this man and pity for this man. And then he does what? He reaches out and he heals him? No. He touches him. See, Jesus doesn't care about your religious custom. And he doesn't care about your social custom. He cares about people. He cares about people. And Jesus reaches out. And even though he shouldn't touch him, what does he do? He touches him. It could have been the first time in years that this man felt another human being's touch. And then he heals him. There's a, that's so significant. He loves him. He touches him. He heals him. As a church, when it comes to people people whose lives may be messy, people whose lives may be dirty, people whose lives and lifestyles may be messed up and jacked up. Let me tell you what, as a church, we are going to follow Jesus' example. We are going to love people, we are going to touch lives, and then we're going to see how Jesus heals them. Because that's what we do. Love, touch, healing. Love, touch, and healing. With Jesus. What we're going to do. So, what does this all mean? I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of a lot of stuff. Now, here I want to tell you something. For you, I got some steps you might need to take. First step: start walking with Jesus. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you need to start walking. This is this is you right here, right here on the path. This is you. Need to take a step. Start walking with Jesus. And how do you do that? You've got to believe in Him. And maybe you're like, well, I do believe in Him. All right, you need to turn away from sin and repentance. Oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of repenting. We're all kind of repenting. we all got to get better at it. Believe, repent, confess your faith, get baptized. That's it, first step right there. Start walking with Jesus. Because why? Jesus is on the move. So start walking with Jesus. And here's the thing, you can do that tonight. We have warm water in that tub right now. We have clothes that you can change into in that back room and you can get baptized tonight. You don't have to wait any longer. Or if you're thinking about it, you're like, man, I'm not ready to take that step of faith yet. I'm not ready to step on that path just yet, but I want more information. Take that membership class at the end of the month. Wednesday, January 30th at 6.30 p.m. Take that class and say, I want more information because I want to make an informed decision. And I want you to take that class. Or come talk to me tonight after this service. We'll be right down here. Say, let's have a conversation about your first step of faith. So first step, start walking with Jesus. Next step, if you've already been baptized, you're following Jesus, your next step, follow closely behind Jesus. Because he's calling you to follow him. 
That's a little bit further down the path. But remember, Jesus is on the move. He's walking down the path. And so for you, your next step may be to start following closely behind him, like Simon and Andrew did and James and John. They left everything behind. So if there is something in your life that is keeping you from following Jesus closely, you've got to leave it behind. You've got to let go of it. Whatever it is, you've got to let go of it. You've got to leave it behind. And so, you know, when it comes to following Jesus, maybe you need to take a step up in, in discipleship and start reading your Bible more, start praying more regularly. Maybe you need to take a step up in stewardship and being a better steward of your time, talent, and your treasure. Or you need to serve or volunteer and go deeper in your faith. You need to join a group and get in one of our connection groups so that you can go deeper in your faith. Your next step is to follow closely behind Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is on the move. He doesn't want to leave you behind. But he's on the move. And so if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to be on the move too. So first step, start following Jesus. Second step, next step, follow closely behind Jesus. Third step, submit completely to Jesus. Remember what Jesus has. He has what? All authority. Authority to teach. Authority to to cast out demons, authority to heal. That's what he did all in Mark chapter 1. He exhibits his authority. Authority to teach, authority to cast out demons, authority to heal. And he has authority in all things. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is Lord. And so it's up to us to completely submit to his lordship and to surrender to his lordship. That is what we are called to do, is to submit to Jesus, to surrender everything to him. And so the question I have for you tonight is, what are you withholding from Jesus? Are you withholding your time? No, I don't want to spend time with God. I don't want to spend, I don't want to go to church. I, I don't want to join a group. I, I don't want to volunteer. I don't want to contribute. Are you withholding your talent? You're something you could be doing for Jesus and you're not. Are you withholding your treasure? You could be giving more. You could be giving sacrificially or generously or consistently, and you're not. Or maybe it's a sin. Maybe there's some kind of sin. There's some hidden sin in your life that you're holding on to. It's like, I don't want to give this up. Maybe it's a, some kind of addiction. Or maybe it's some kind of addiction to, to drugs or to alcohol or to pornography. Maybe it's some kind of sin that you just don't, you're not ready to let go of. Greed or pride or anger or losing your temper. Maybe it's a bad relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in that you know you shouldn't be in. And you're like, nope, no, I, I want to hold on to this because this is for me. And Jesus is telling you, no, you need to let this go. And you need to surrender and submit completely to Jesus and his leading. Where is he leading you and what is holding you back? Why aren't you following him as closely as you need to? Jesus is in charge. Jesus is Lord. And that means he's number one. We're told to look out for number one in our world, right? And number one is who? It's me. It's me. No. For followers of Christ, Jesus is number one. Jesus is first. I like what, uh, there was a missionary in the 19th century to China. His name was Hudson Taylor. And I like what he said. This is what he said. Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. Take a picture of that and put it on Facebook. Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. Jesus is number one. And we see that in Mark chapter one. That he has the authority to cast out demons, the authority to teach, the authority to heal. 
because Jesus is Lord. And when Jesus says that he's in charge, when, Jesus, when we say Jesus is Lord, we mean it. He is number one, and what he says goes. And where he leads, we follow. Jesus is on the path, and Jesus is on the move. Are you ready to go with him? Are you ready to start walking with Jesus?